Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. All right. Um, real quick, we're going to roll into uh, part three of this series, and then next week uh, I'm going to land the plane on this with a message called Culture War Christianity. And I did a little preview of this, so I do a weekly email called Unfiltered Talk, uh, where I talk about current culture, everyday life, and so I wrote about this in tomorrow's email. So if you want to grab that and you don't get it already, I think the website's up there, BrianGolden.org. But I'm going to give you a little preview of what's coming next week. And so if it makes you nervous, maybe you don't want to show up, um, or maybe it's going to interest you. But that that'll be part four of the series. Um, if you haven't tracked with us the whole time, I'd love for you to go back, watch them, listen to this series. But the whole thing has been around kind of the current chaos of our culture. And I think you could say that around any time, but it's specifically true of this time. We've been through so much over this last year. I don't think many people would argue around divisiveness and division. And it's on every side from a religious faith perspective, political perspective, just culture in general. Like it's everywhere. Now here's the thing real quick. Did I introduce myself by the way, in case you didn't know me? My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. Glad you're with us. Um, hey, here's the thing about most people, unless you're weird, is most people would say kind of the the current cultural norm is, is not really something they're down with. Like they don't love that kind of culture, even if they participate in it. The divisiveness, the division, the polarization, I, most people would, would say, I, I don't really like this cultural moment. Again, whether it's faith, politics, family stuff, it's just everywhere. But here's the thing that is just true, and you don't have to be religious or, or not. And if you're not, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're investigating online or listening uh, via unfiltered radio, wherever you're at around the state, but religious or not, here's what's just true. Fear always turns a profit. Division always turns a profit. Suspicion always turns a profit. Is that not true? In fact, if you can, if somebody convinces you that there's a whole group of people that you should be afraid of and then promises to protect you, you'll give just about anything for a lot of people. Like you'll give allegiance, you'll surrender, you'll surrender to God, you'll give some money, you'll give them a vote. I mean, whatever the context is, you'll give them a lot. Now, here's the thing. You can raise a lot of money on the far right or the far left of anything. A lot of money. In fact, one of my favorite interviews that's really a favorite interview for a really bad reason, just, but it, it reveals so much of this in terms of religious context, but uh, one of the leaders of the moral majority in the 80s, some of you know what that is, and um, that's a whole nother message um, in that off the rails deal, but a moral majority in the early 80s, and they sat down with this individual, which was a massive leader and a big fundraiser, and they said, how, how do you raise so much money in religious evangelical circles? Like, how do you do it? This guy had raised millions of dollars for this movement. And he turned back at the guy and just said, you just need two things. You need an enemy and you need fear. And if you can leverage enemy and a fear, you can raise a lot of money. And so all of us 
know this. But here's what I would contend is that on the far right or far left of anything, and I'm talking about, again, culture in general, I'm talking about religious circles. I don't think you'll find Jesus there because on the extremes of anything, it's very difficult to love because this is the, the nature of extremes or fundamentalism and fundamentalism is synonymous with hell fundamentalism in anything, but it's synonymous with you have to have an enemy. We'll talk more about this next week. And it always leads generally to polarization. It's just how it works. And so I would contend you don't solve problems there. You don't make a difference there. And I don't think you'll find Jesus there. In fact, it's why I've tried my best over the last year and a half, especially to make sure that you don't find us there. Talking about us as the church, because I think it's so easy to get caught up in this thing that is far from what Jesus has called us to. I mean, I think the question is this, why do we fall so easily for the rhetoric that divides us? Again, whether it's faith circles, religious circles, we all claim to serve Jesus and yet there's a million denominations. Why is that so easy in terms of culture? Why do we so easily buy into that? I mean, come on, has division ever led to a solution to anything? Like, can demonizing half of the culture around what they believe or their system of faith or how they handled a pandemic or their politics or race, has it ever brought anybody together? Like, has it ever solved anything? I think this is the big question, honestly, I wanna answer. Like, this is the, this is the thing for me. Why don't we despise division as much as we despise people who don't think or believe like us? Because I think that's, I think that's actually the enemy. And in a lot of cases, we've misidentified the enemy. And as Jesus, Jesus followers, we're so like hyper-focused on, you know, maybe it's Satan or the, the evil of culture and the lack of morality and whatever, whatever. And, you know, I get all of that. But in most cases, the enemies, if there is an enemy, and I believe that there is, their prime goal, their prime strategy is to create division in every environment, in every culture. And the moment you do that, things begin to go off of the rails. Like, but in the middle of anything where we're willing to lay down agendas and maybe lay down some entitlement, all of a sudden, some things that are obvious start to become apparent. And here's what's obvious that's not always apparent for all of us. And again, I think you'll agree with this, even if you're not a Jesus follower, is that what is best for people in any environment, any religious circle, any church, any culture, what is best for people is what is best. And in the middle, you can argue about that. You can have conversations about that without demonizing and dehumanizing other people who have a different view around what is best for people. And that is particularly true of followers of Jesus. Now, here, here's the thing that I think that makes this so difficult. And I don't know if you're nervous or what, but you got real quiet real quick at the 9 a.m. You still with me? You good? You only have 34 minutes to go, so don't worry. Like, he, here's the struggle that, honestly, again, it, it moves past faith guidelines. This is what I would call at some level a postmodern secular, secularist view of culture, but it's also something that a lot of Jesus followers have adopted and we just slap Jesus' name on it, but it's got the same kind of idea driving it and it's just this. The problem or the tension for a lot of us is that we have this idea that I have the right to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as it doesn't interfere with somebody else's rights. 
I can do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. And there's a whole message surrounding this that like, I'll come back to this in another series, but we easily lose sight of this reality that I think all of us know, but it's easy to forget. Rights must be coupled with responsibility or things go terribly wrong. And this is true even of the gospel, right? This is, the, this is true of grace where God's done something. I'm gonna look at it in a second from Paul's writings. And like he basically says, you have the ability to either abuse this or to steward this well. But if your rights or what you're entitled to or what God's given you or what you have in culture, if it's not coupled with responsibility, things go off the rails quickly. If you have kids, you know this. If you have older kids, you know this. Like they had a phone and then they were irresponsible and now they don't have a phone anymore. Or you're one of those parents that's really savage and at one point along the way, the door came off the hinges to their room. You're like, no more privacy. Anybody? I'm not gonna ask you. No, you can raise hands. All right, thanks. That's fine. And I'm not judging you. I, I think I may do the same thing. But like there's responsibility that goes with your rights and individual rights must be coupled with individual responsibility or otherwise. There's isolation, there's anarchy in any environment. And come on, the problem with that though is is you really can't make anybody do anything. And when the cultural mindset of just culture in general or followers of Jesus who say, I have the right to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want. If we're Jesus followers, we just throw in a little caveat, you know, as long as I don't, whatever, whatever, and we, there's five rules that we're gonna follow, but it's still the same basic mindset. When you live according to that mindset, it leads you to a really massive question. And the question is this, when my rights infringe upon your rights, who's to say who's right? It always leads to a dead end. And then what you're forced with is in religious circles, it's just more legalism. You better ramp up the rules. You better create some more standards. In culture, you just create more laws. The only problem is, and some of you grew up in churches like this, or you just know this, is that you cannot force anybody to be responsible and you cannot force anybody to be moral. Law simply reflects the minimum requirement. See, this was some of your problem with the religious circles you grew up with because they talked about Jesus and you sang songs and Everybody looked apart and there was unspoken seven rules that everybody needed to to follow. They never included being a jerk to other people. That never made the list. It was always sex and don't drink or whatever. But you could be a deacon and an idiot to somebody else and nobody called you on that. (laughs) And you grew up in that environment and you realized that like all, all you could do was simply load people down with more rules and more stipulations. But it never actually changed anything because it's all about how low can I go? What can I get away with and still go home? What can I do and God's still cool with me? Like law, whether it's civil law or whether it's religious law, it never inspires greatness. It never inspires virtue. It never inspires responsibility. You need something else to do that. Like religious laws don't make you love. Some of you know that, right? It's why you walked away from the church for like a decade. Traffic laws don't make you a courteous courteous driver. (laughs) Tax laws don't make you generous. Civil laws don't make you civil. Neighborhood association rules and laws from my own experience do not make you a good neighbor. (laughs) You notice that example comes up every single week. I got like work to do. And... (laughs) Free speech doesn't make you kind. Like laws just put a limit on the self-serving expressions of our rights. 
That's what it does. In fact, the law, again, religious or civil, protects us from each other's entitlement. That's all that rules can do. That's all that laws can do. In fact, like, there's always a limit. You, you can't come uninvited into my house to exercise your free speech. But the thing is, it always leads to attention. Here's what I'll tell you about human nature, and this is what I believe. You may not believe it or be there yet, but there's probably times when you stared up at the ceiling wondering what's wrong with you or you didn't hold up your own standards. I think there's a sin-infested world, and it creates this dynamic when, with those warring tensions where it makes it easy to profit off of division. It's why you have to have a third thing. Like rights are about what you're entitled to. Law is about what you're allowed to do. Morality is about what you ought to do. And if you don't have that in any organization or any family or any church or any society, like things go off the rails really, really quickly. And this is why this idea of virtue is so massive for followers of Jesus. And I've tried to beat this thing in as much as I I can in two weeks of this series already, but we've been called to a different standard We haven't been called to do what everybody else is doing. And yet so often, specifically in this cultural moment, we look the same as everybody else looks. We respond the same way that everybody else responds. We get by with all the same stuff that everybody else gets by with. And yet you see all throughout the scripture and specifically the New Testament that Jesus followers have been planted in any culture in order to be salt and light in that culture and to bring to bear among law and rights and entitlement this idea that there is a bigger standard, there is a greater standard for followers of Jesus. And Paul summarized it this way. It's really just the law of Christ. Now, if you're like, oh, law of Christ. Okay, Paul summarizes in Galatians 6, 2 and 1 Corinthians 9, 21, what the law of Christ is. The law of Christ was, hey, the, all the Old Testament legalism and rules and standards, there was an expiration date on all of that. I've done messages about that. Many people misinterpret them and then I get crazy emails, but besides the fact, you can go back and listen to them. But there was an expiration date. It doesn't mean it wasn't inspired. It just means that there was a specific moment in time where the Old Testament law was a to birth ultimately what God wanted to bring onto the scene, which was a savior who invited in a brand new ethic and a brand new new covenant command to say, now the entire law is summed up this way. I want you to love God by loving other people. I want you to love God by loving other people. Yeah, what are the 630? It doesn't matter anymore. This is all you need, go. I want you to love God by loving other people. That's called the law of Christ. And then Paul... I'll give you a second, sorry. Then Paul came along and he summarized this all throughout the New Testament of what this looked like. That we're to honor one another the way God through Christ honored us. If you wanna know what the law of Christ is, you wanna know what the marching orders for Jesus followers are, you wanna know what you should look like in any culture, in any response, in any relationship, you're to care for one another the way God cared for you through Christ. You're to forgive one another the way that God forgave you through Christ. Yeah, but you don't understand what the, the, the standard is not them. The standard is not what they did or didn't do. The standard is not letting them off the hook because we understand that if somebody stole something and you forgive, you are not letting them off. You're just saying, you're not gonna control my future anymore. And the reason that you can do that is it's exactly what God did for you through Christ. Paul summarizes, I want you to accept one another the way God through Christ accepted you. 
That's a massive standard. Do you know how he accepted you? And I want you to love one another the way God through Christ loved you. And I think Jesus would lean in to go, what are your excuses again? Come on. What if we just did that? What if we just did, what if we just decided like there's a lot of things that I'm entitled to do. There's a lot of things I could do. There's a lot of things that I'm, I'm able to do that I have the right to do. But what if I decided to model the ethic and the virtue of my savior that says, yes, I understand this. I understand the culture I live. I understand what everybody else is doing, but I'm going to lay down some things. I'm going to let go of some things. I'm going to put me second on some things and I'm going to give up my life for the sake of you. I may set down what I'm responsible what I am able to do in my rights. I may set down some of what I'm entitled to do and I'm gonna give it up for the sake of you because that's exactly what God did for me through Christ. And I recognize that every single individual was given unbelievable worth and is made in the imago Dei, made in the image of God. So it directs everything I do, everything I say in every way that I respond because I'm a follower of Jesus accountable to the law of Christ. I don't care what you're doing. I'm a follower of Jesus. Paul came along in the New Testament to talk about this. He wrote to a group of Judean and Gentile Christians and he basically reminded them of what I just said. Hey, you're no longer under the law of Moses. I know it's hard for you to understand as Jewish people in the first century, there's an expiration date on that. It was amazing. It was basically the whole law was summarized to show you how screwed up you were and that you needed a savior and he's here. And now he's done everything on your behalf. And now you don't need a list of rules. You just need to ask the question, what does love demand of me? That's all you need. And so Paul writes to them to go, that's, that's the life now that you have. But, but Jesus follower who recognizes that Jesus came and lived the perfect life. You couldn't live and died the death you should have died. And then walked out of a grave alive. Don't do what most people do when the restrictions are lifted. <laughs> don't do what most people do when they don't have to anymore. Don't do what most people do when they have freedom and entitlement and rights. I want you to live differently. And here's how Paul writes it in Galatians 5, verse 13. You guys still here? You still here online? (laughs) Thank you. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Just real quick, I don't have time to unpack this. If you grew up in church, if you grew up around the gospel, if you met a lot of Jesus followers and you walked away from the whole thing and it felt anything but, like it, if it felt like anything but freedom, then whoever was doing it was doing it wrong. Whoever was teaching you was teaching it wrong. Whoever was talking to you about what it meant to have life in Christ didn't explain it adequately or you never walked into the reality of it because this is the common theme throughout the New Testament. Not that crap doesn't happen, not that you don't struggle with sin, not that you're gonna not walk through roads of dysfunction, but in Christ, ultimately, it is a journey and a relationship toward freedom. You guys crack me up. You're like, was that good enough? Does it deserve a clap? I don't know. I'm on the fence. But, 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 I think Paul would say, but don't run to your entitled little corners. (laughs) But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. 
Meaning, all it means is don't constantly ask the question of how low can I go? What's the minimum requirement? What's the bottom rung standard? What's everybody else doing? What can I get away with? What's legal? How can I do this and still go home? Like ask different questions. Not, hey, th- this is my right. This is what, this is what you know, I- I'm responsible to be able to do. That's not the question. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, but rather, end of verse 13, serve one another. Serve one another humbly in love. Just as your savior served you. And listen, religious law, it can't do that. Civil law cannot do that. Your office rules cannot do that. And here's the thing that I love this. You have the right not to. You're entitled not to. This is what I love about Jesus. Maybe some of you have missed. He will never force his way on you. You can turn your back, you can rebel, you can, you can receive legitimately his offer of grace and then just say, I'm gonna do whatever I want with that. And it's so amazing that God is still gonna save you and rescue. This is the beauty of the gospel, not coerced relationship, but genuine love and relationship. You don't have to do any of it. The question is, will you choose to do it? The question is, will you be different? You know this, unity can be mandated. Unity in the environment has to be chosen. And somebody's gotta go first. And I'm just telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus will not lead you to the extreme, to the far left or the far right on anything. And what I mean by that, the far right or far left, where you are in a position where it requires an enemy, it requires polarization, you start to see other people as less than somebody in the Imago day made in the image of God. Instead, Jesus will lead you in a completely different direction because he's the one that showed up to go, listen, I'm introducing a countercultural, upside down, not of this world kingdom. Like, I don't know how we missed Paul's words in the New Testament where he said, listen, just so you guys know, all of you are foreigners and strangers in a land that's not yours. And I'm not saying don't be present in this land, don't engage in the culture, the opposite. I'm just telling you, you are not gonna be here forever and this is not your home and it's not your primary allegiance. I've introduced a upside down kingdom and the driving ethic among everything else is I want you to love other people the way that I have loved you. And I want you to see other people the way that your heavenly father sees them. And I want you to put other people first the way your heavenly father put you first. And when you choose to set aside your right not to love, and when you choose to set aside your right to not forgive, you don't have to. When you choose to set aside your right not to give and be generous, and when you choose to set aside your right not to move in the direction of that person, when you set aside your right not to move above the standard of this is what everybody else is doing and this is what I can get away with, when you choose to give up not doing those things, this is what is just true of human nature. The distance between any group or individual immediately decreases. When you give up your right not to, because you don't have to, the distance immediately decreases. 
This is what Paul was saying in Galatians 5.14. Go to the next verse. If you don't have the Centerpoint Church app, by the way, you can get that and all this stuff is on there. I said at the 11 a.m., somebody the other week came up and they're like, you know what would be a, like a really great idea is you should create notes for messages. And I think that would really help people follow along. And I'm like, we did that three years ago. So if you go to the app, you can get it. Okay. Um, and if that was you, I'm just joking. For the entire law, <laughs> for the entire law, is fulfilled in keeping this one command. And I just wanna stop for a second because this is, this is so simple and so brilliant, but it's so familiar. I've said this often, we become inoculated to it, which is why I'm convinced we can name the name of Jesus and we can act like, just excuse, excuse my language, idiots. And we can walk in and lift our hands and don't even see the dichotomy. But the entire law, is filled in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm just gonna ask it one more time. What if we just did that? What if we just did that? <laughs> what if we just did, what if we moved in the direction of another individual? What if we moved to the middle on whatever it is, other people who don't agree with you in terms of faith, their practice of belief, what they believe about Jesus, what they believe in culture, their worldview. What if we moved in their direction? Because I will tell you what will happen. You will learn, you will grow. And in many cases you will go, oh, I didn't know that. It may not change any of your beliefs and it maybe shouldn't change any of your beliefs, but I'm just telling you, it'll change your perspective. One of the greatest joys of my life, which was a goal years ago, is that, that eventually I would have the opportunity to get to know people in a friend group that would com be completely other than anything I grew up with or anything that I knew. And over the last six to seven years specifically, God has answered that prayer through the growth of different things and opportunities outside of even Centerpoint and what God's done at Centerpoint, where I have individuals that like for many years, I never, I never interacted with completely different worldview than me, completely different politics than me, completely different idea of how things should function, completely different sexuality and sexual ethic across the board. And I'm telling you, it has been one of the greatest joys of my life. And by the way, if that makes you nervous, that's literally what Jesus spent the entire New Testament telling us we should do is to move in the direction of people who are not like us. And by the way, I want every single individual to come to know Jesus because I follow Jesus and I believe that hope and life and restoration is found in Jesus. But there's not a single friend of mine who is a project and somebody that I'm trying to convert. They are a friend that I'm trying to love because I'm a follower of Jesus. And they come to my home and we have conversations and we go and get drinks and we go together at like, all of that is what we've been called to. And there, there have been so many times where my beliefs haven't necessarily changed. But you better believe my perspective has changed because there are things that I do not see on my own. And there are things that you don't see on your own. And Paul's like, well, what if we did that? But here's what happens when we don't and we just settle for more legalistic rules or more law or it's all about my writes, verse 15, if you bite, <laughs> I love Paul's language, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, yep. or you will be destroyed by each other. Shockingly relevant yeah. for having been written 2,000 years ago. Yeah. 
And this is a picture in some extent to what a lot of people feel like is happening with the capital C church in this cultural moment. And I talk to a lot of those people. And what they feel like is happening just in culture at large. And here's what you need to know. When, when you move to that type of mindset, every man for himself will eventually isolate himself to himself. And every woman for herself will eventually isolate herself to herself. And every man for himself will eventually isolate himself from himself. It's where that goes every single time. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes, one of my favorite authors, brilliant theologian, wrote about hell. And he basically said this, hell is where everybody can get whatever they want just by thinking about it. And nobody needs anybody else. And so everybody hates each other. And C.S. Lewis is, that is the definition of hell. That's what hell is like. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So the question I've asked all throughout the series is, is what do we do? Like, what do we do as followers of Jesus? If you're not a follower of Jesus, you do not have to do any of this. You're not accountable to this. You never signed on to the Jesus thing. But I would imagine that you're gonna agree with a lot of this stuff because Jesus is smart. And a lot of what Jesus lays out, it's just good for humanity. And if you ever follow Jesus, this is what we should be about. And if you have not experienced this, this is our fault. But this is the way forward. And here's the thing. Nobody can make us do any of this stuff. We have to choose to leave our corners and give up something to do it. And by the way, Jesus followers have been doing that from the very beginning. A lot of our ideas of the Jesus movement in Western culture in no way mirror Jesus followers in first century culture. The gods were inspiring people to kill. It was the Jesus movement that inspired people to go into Colosseums and die. So I wanna give us just three things that I think are so important. The first is just this, do what is just, not what you can justify. What's the expression? What's the outflow of what Paul just said? Do what's just, not what you can justify. Begin to ask the question, not what can I get by with? Not what are my rights? What, what am I entitled to? What is everybody else doing? That's not the questions that Jesus followers ask. In fact, one of the things that has just messed me up more than anything else over about the last two years is the amount of Jesus followers that are like, I, like, I don't have to do that and nobody can make me do whatever, whatever, whatever. And I think first century followers of Jesus in Rome would be embarrassed. Do what's just, not what you can justify. Ask the question, how others first and radical can I be? How can I help? How can I move outside of what's comfortable? That's why all throughout this series, the practical application has been this generosity campaign to give, giving $50,000 away at least um, to our community and these partner organizations, every dollar of it around food scarcity and homelessness and women's crisis, because this is what we can do in our community to move in the direction of people who may never pay us back, may not even like us, may be our enemies, but that doesn't matter. We're followers of Jesus to serve. Next Saturday, a bunch of us are gonna gather here. If you haven't registered, do that. And we're gonna serve as individuals and families and go out into our neighborhood. Love, which is the, the other part of this campaign, if you go to our site of, of choosing one act of kindness. And my thing on week one was this. The person that immediately comes to your mind of like, I don't wanna talk to them. I don't wanna walk three doors down. I always avoid their cubicles. Start with them first. 
Love somebody who is the most unlike you. But it's one of the practical applications of giving, serving, and loving. Next weekend, we're gonna do what we don't do any other time of year. We're gonna actually take an offering and service, which is crazy for us. If you grew up in church, it's not crazy, but it is for us. We don't ever do that because this is that one time where we get to go, every dollar is going away. And this is our opportunity to be extraordinarily generous in our community. But my point is this, do what's just, not what we can justify. I've said throughout the series, culture says, culture asks the questions. What side am I on? How can I win? Jesus followers in any cultural moment ask the questions, who's in need and how can I help? The second thing I think is this, do what's responsible, not, not what is permissible. If you wanna know what Paul was talking about, do what's responsible in any culture, not what's permissible. Listen, if you are not willing to take the responsibility for the outcome of a decision, don't do it. Don't do it. Well, then nobody's gonna see me. It doesn't matter. You see you and you're a follower of Jesus. And it doesn't matter what anybody else is getting away with. <laughs> you, if you're a follower of Jesus, are not anybody else. Yeah. You're a follower yeah. of Jesus. You're part of an upside down movement in kingdom. What we're doing right now in this moment, it is gonna reverberate and echo for all of eternity. This is not our home. And then the third thing, do what is moral, not what's modeled. Do what's moral. Now, like legit, I'm gonna use big language here, but I mean it. Be the hero. Follow the example of King Jesus. You have an amazing heavenly father, no matter how jacked up your earthly father was. No matter how messed up your family of origin is, you're a part of a new family. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a son and daughter of the King of Kings. You have it in you. You have the spirit of God in you. So decide, I'm gonna be the hero. I'm gonna come to the rescue of other people around me. I'm gonna step up when everybody is drawing lines and erecting walls and I'm going to be different because I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm gonna treat people different. Listen, I've said this probably 50 times, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you should never be the story that shows up in somebody's future counseling session. You're a Jesus follower. And so I said about a year and a half ago, two years ago, you get to write the story of your life. You can't control what happens to you. You can't control the stuff that's gonna hit the fan, but you can control how you respond and how you live. Make sure you write a good story and you don't have to do it, but you get to choose to do it. And Paul's like, come on, come on. I know you're overwhelmed, but Paul would be like, do you wanna trade places? Do you know how it ends for me? So I just wanna say this and we're gonna be done. If you're not a Jesus follower, I just wanna say this again. You don't have to do any of this. But if you're a follower of Jesus, and I don't know how this applies to you in your life or what's going on with your family, but I just wanna say this at a general sense, and this may not be you. And if this is not you, don't get offended. I'm not talking to you. But as Jesus followers, and I'll just talk to me, I think we gotta do better. I think we gotta do better. And I care about this movement in this church because within a couple mile radius of just where we're at right now, there's about 75,000 people that are either at a place where they've walked away from Jesus or they don't want anything to do with Jesus or they never started a relationship with Jesus. 
And for many of them, they've had so much stuff stacked up in the way of Jesus and barriers in front of Jesus. It's gonna take a lot of work to tear them back down. But we've been called in this moment in our culture to make a difference in our community. And I think we've got to do better because if we're a follower of Jesus, we tied our future and we've renewed our consciences, one ethical mandate. I want you to love other people the way that I've loved you. And do you know how I loved you? Can you just remind yourself on a daily basis what I did for you the moment that it gets a little bit difficult and they're annoying and you can't stand your in-law any longer? Do you know what I did for you? Let's not merely tolerate one another. As followers of Jesus, let's love one another. Let's see others the way our heavenly father sees us and sees others. Let's value others the way that our heavenly fathers values others. And I'm gonna end with these verses because I think Paul said it better than I could in Philippians 2.14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that we may become blameless and pure. And then I love this, one of my favorite lines in all the New Testament. Children of God, because in that moment when you live like this, you're most like your father in heaven children of God in a warped and crooked generation. And then, you're like, Paul, this is big language, dude. This is, it's a little over the top. It's a little poetic. And yet Paul's gonna be taken outside of the city around 60 AD because they wanna silence his voice and then silence the church. And so early in the morning, he's let out. Paul knows exactly what's gonna happen. And his life is ended via a beheading. And they silenced Paul. But they did not silence the church. In this fledgling movement with no leverage and not entitled to anything and zero rights and no platform. And no idea how they were going to get it moving beyond the first century. That little movement changed the world. And so Paul's like, no, 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 it's not too big a language you will shine among them like stars in the sky. It'll change your family. It'll change your community. Once upon a time, it changed the world. When a group of followers of Jesus said, I'm gonna leverage my freedom for the benefit of other people. And when you do, and when we do, God will do something to rearrange that marriage, to bring healing in that family, to reconcile those long distance relationships, to begin to move in your neighborhood in ways that you cannot even imagine. And the onus is on followers of Jesus. Somebody has to go first. It's you. Would you stand with me? Jesus, I thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for what you are doing in this moment. I thank you so much for this movement and what you're doing in this group of people. Thank you for what you've done over these three weeks. God, use us. In a world where we are so busy and so distracted, in some cases so overwhelmed and so anxiety-ridden, it is easy to lose focus, but to quote the author of Colossians, help us to lift our eyes up and recognize what we are a part of and to remember who we're following 
and to be reminded of the power that we possess in Christ. To quote your promise, not even the gates of hell and death can overcome your church. And so help us just be faithful. Help us to simply move away from living in these little corners and creating dividing walls and doing what everybody else does who doesn't have the spirit of God in them and help us to begin to live differently. Do something through this church, this movement that would literally turn our city and community upside down. I pray that and ask that without blinking an eye because I know who I'm talking to. And so God move in us and we pray this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.